Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. All right. Well, welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm your host, Joe Velarde, and I'm so excited to be joined by my good friend who I've known for many, many years. Uh, Chris and I go way back, right after I graduated college as a 23-year-old. He and I met, and he actually helped me get my first job as a youth pastor at Salem Bible Church. Uh, He signed off on me (laughs) in a lot of ways, which uh, was risky for for a lot of people. Uh, But I really appreciate Chris and the role that he's played in my life, but also the impact he's made in the Valley uh, with a practice that he's had for 25-plus years called Zang and Associates. Uh, It's a counseling practice, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about that. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Um, Well, I'm uh, originally from the Camp Hill area of uh, Pennsylvania, so down in the south central state. As you said, been up here for about uh, 25, 30 years. Uh, Married a Mukunji native, and that's what Hmm. brought us back to this area after grad school. And uh, licensed as a professional counselor and as a marriage and family therapist. And then I also do uh, supervision for people who are working toward their licensure. So once they get out of grad school, I'll supervise their work. Um, it's a multifaceted practice. Uh, we see kids, we see adolescents, we see young adults, we see adults, even some elderly folks. I have a, uh, a gentleman that's in his uh, mid-80s right now and is still... Uh, um, uses it to grow and stay alive. Um, and uh, there's three folks that work with me. So that's where the uh, associates on the title comes from. Um, and so we're, again, we're multifaceted. We do a lot of things. Um, and uh, um, keep, keep busy a lot with families because uh, that's a lot of where my passion is and with couples as well. I also work with individuals. Well, that's awesome. So first of all, Chris, I always tell you this. Congratulations on uh, 25 plus years. I mean, that's amazing to have a practice that long. And I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what what you've done to keep yourself in it that long? Because, you know, the industry that you're in is a lot of compassion fatigue, a lot of, um, it's just exhausting, you know? And so to have a long run like that, uh, can you tell us a little bit what's kept you in it and kept you fresh through the years? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the things that's uh, really important is, uh, as a therapist, not to go it alone, uh, not to go anything alone. And so I've always uh, uh, utilized people as supervisors. Uh, and so I have always had people looking uh, and being an extra set of eyes and ears as far as the work that I'm doing. And I just think that's really important because we never stop learning and we never know everything. Um, so to have that support has been really important. Um, uh, another thing is it's been great to have different groups. And so uh, I'm in some peer supervision groups, uh, actually with uh, one of your previous guests, uh, Heather Evans and I, and another therapist. Uh, we meet once monthly and we talk about cases and that's another thing that keeps us fresh. And I think the last thing, just like anything in life, is to continue to be a lifelong learner. Um, So I'm always looking to learn. Um, uh, I never know enough. Um, And so about five years ago, I started uh, psychoanalytic training uh, through a program. And so that's been a real breath of fresh air because I was starting to get pretty dry and pretty tired uh, at that point in my life. And so it's... uh, it's been a great experience educationally, but also with the people that it's put me in contact with. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I, I think for all of us, that's a, a powerful lesson for us to think about for our own lives and leadership about the idea of not going it alone. We need community. We need people, which is often coined, and you know this better than I do, Chris, but mutual beneficial relationships. Um, it's not enough to just have relationships where it's one, one-sided. Um, so like for you, even like as a counselor, you have a depth, a specific relationship to your clients. Um, and as they come in, you're, you're speaking over them and talking with them and, and listening. Um, but there's a, that's not necessarily what it was considered a mutually beneficial relationship. Whereas when you have people, um, who are watching you and, and looking over 
even as they are hearing you counsel, you know, doing the supervision piece of what you described, it, it becomes mutually beneficial because then you're sharing in learnings and how you're growing and you're, you're going at it together. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with what you do as a counselor. You need to do that. This is such an important work. But I think for each of us, we need to ask the question, do I have mutually beneficial relationships? Do I have people that I give permission to speak into where I need to grow? Because that really speaks to humility and teachability. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about Chris and beyond that he's an avid reader and, and he listens to podcasts and lectures and all these things. He wants to always get better. And when I say better, it just understands that he understands that he's not a finished product. None of us are. And so I think to understand the value, each and every one of us, of being a person that's a lifelong learner. We don't have all the answers. You know, we don't, we don't have the market on the best way. <laughs> we're, we're always learning. And I, and I think even what you said, too, about uh, recognizing you know, the peer groups that you're a part of. We, we need people like that, um, which go, goes against that mutually beneficial relationships. And, and then I think asking the question when we do start feeling dry, hey, what's, what's causing that? You know, what's up the heart of some of that? What, what can I do to, to be refreshed and encouraged? And oftentimes we, we limit refreshing to like going on vacation, though I think that is part of it. Sometimes it's a new challenge or deeper learnings about oneself or, um, you know, trying a new um, initiative or, or it could be a variety of things but as you think about what's kept you in it that long Chris I wanted to ask you what actually brought you to becoming a counselor like what was it in you that said hey you know what I'm signing up for a profession that <laughs> the mortality rate is very 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 high um, just like it's in my, my uh, role as well as a pastor you know but wanted to hear a little bit of your own personal just call into this. Yeah. Um, I was, I've always been curious about people and uh, there's a, a, a couple of experiences from uh, growing up, which I, I won't share, but even as a little kid, I was asking why, well, you know, why people do things or what was it? And so I was just always curious that way. And I didn't really understand it. And I didn't really understand that not everybody was uh, looked at the world that way. So there was a, an, a curiosity about people. Um, there was also a sense of pretty early on just understanding that people were comfortable talking with me, you know, and, and there's, I'm sure there's a lot of folks or, you know, that have that experience in their lives too, where uh, people are j just comfortable. They like you to be a sounding board with them. And, um, and, um, and so I noticed that pretty early on too. Um, uh, as far as educationally, um, never a good math guy. So the engineering road or the economics road, they weren't going to be playing out. And so uh, ended up going into uh, college and just really being interested in the, uh, the psych courses and things like that. And um, just more and more of these experiences of um, really just understanding people on a different level or even caring about it in ways that maybe just didn't interest others. And um, it wasn't really till after college, because I, I wasn't really very serious about school at that point. And then I worked at um, a children's home. And I got really interested then and then had an opportunity uh, to go to grad school with some, a strong encouragement from a friend and from my wife uh, that uh, mm. it would be good to, to, to try the next step. And I wasn't sure about that because I had uh, less than stellar grades coming out of uh, undergrad, um, mm. um, but was able to really take advantage of grad school. And then uh, it, there really hasn't been any looking back then. I really like what I do. And uh, like you said, if you learn and you can um, not burn out and you, you have support around you, you know, it's one of those uh, professions, you don't really have to retire, you can slow down, but you can still contribute uh, for a long time. And certainly that's my hope. Yeah, well, you, it's definitely true about you, just from personal experience, you're an incredible listener. And uh, you have a lot of wisdom. I know that I've benefited from that from a you know, locational side of things to, uh, you know, parenting side of, side of it or 
uh, even, you know, just even thinking through my own family story, which we share a lot of commonality in that. Um, and just even having someone to go to to say, I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> uh, can you help me kind of like process what I'm, I'm experiencing and feeling? And he's always, uh, this is another thing I love about Chris, he's a man of integrity. He says, I'm, I will talk to you as a friend, but I will refer you on <laughs> to somebody else if we're going to, if you want to go for counseling, uh, which I really, really appreciate about Chris, even in that, because he understands the nature of the duality of roles and how important it is to distinguish between friendship and counselor. And when you have an ongoing relationship as a friend, it is very difficult to take on a, the, the hat or put on the hat of a counselor. It doesn't mean you don't provide counsel. It's just distinguishing between those two those two roles, and I, and I think also the the value of uh, recognizing that as we have people like that in our lives, like, like Chris has been a gift like that to me uh, to have a, a, the friendship part of it and to walk through those things in life. The other thing about Chris that as you're getting to know him is he um, is an avid uh, weightlifter, um, and and I, right after college, <laughs> after I graduated, uh, he he and I started to. Uh, uh, work out a good bit in his basement gym, man. And so he would put up with my uh, learning, my steep learning curve and also my extrovertedness uh, in the morning, <laughs> which now knowing uh, how, how that had to drive him crazy because it drives a lot of other people crazy who are very introverted uh, in the morning time with all my like thoughts and ramblings and we're trying to get this workout done. But I, I'm grateful for that part of, of the story too because I think Chris understands the power of holistic health. So as, you, as you're going to hear him talk about some counseling things, I, I think it's important that we also recognize for Chris, just from his own personal vision, it's really, yes, we need to look at what's going on mentally and emotionally, but we also need to take care of ourselves physically, relationally. You know, these things aren't um, disconnected systems. They're actually an integrated part of who we are. And so my hope is even as we hear from Chris, we'll see how some of that plays out, but I also want you to hear how um, important it is to take care of oneself. And there's a lack of courage, I think, often um, when it comes to looking at counseling, because sometimes as leaders, we can see it for somebody else, but we can't see it for ourselves. We don't allow ourselves to be at a point of vulnerability, understandably so. Uh, a lot of times leaders are taken advantage of and there's a lot of mistrust that's built up. There's sometimes trying to keep up appearances and presentation. And all these things are barriers from us being the leader that we're intended to be. And when I say leader, I always like to clarify, it's not limited to your title. Uh, it's the leader that you are in your home, the leader you are in your neighborhood, the leader you are in your church, if you're a part of a church, uh, the vocation that you're in as well. But there is this leadership part. And so when we try to negate that part of who we are we do harm to us but in turn i think we do harm to others as well without us even knowing it because we are a whole person we are a human being not a human doing <laughs> as uh, pete Cazero says so well and so we want to take care of ourselves so part of what i want to help us to do is even to be honest about what we've seen over these last four months because um, there's been a lot that's happened and i, I heard this great illustration uh, this morning, and I thought it was really, really well done. And, and the illustration was, we thought we were running a marathon. <laughs> uh, and so we ran as fast as we could, you know, and, and kept pace and did all those things. Um, but then we, it turns out it was a triathlon. Uh, and so there's a major difference between a marathon and a triathlon, because a triathlon invo involves swimming uh, and bike riding as well. And so we, we keep thinking we're at one point um, in our, our journey over these last four months, but we're actually in another place altogether. And this exhaustion that has come into all of us, but specifically in the life of a leader, I think is important to acknowledge and note because as we move from this, these uh, months that we've been in into the future, it's going to affect us. And so I, I wanted to ask you this, this question, Chris, how would you encourage us to best process what we are experiencing or what we have been experiencing over the last four months? Yeah. Well, like you said, I'll start with uh, self-care. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, we're not human doings. 
another writer says, you know, we're not brains on a stick. Um, we, we live in bodies. Um, we are bodies. And so um, to understand that means that we need to be paying attention to sleep. We need to be paying attention to getting outside. Um, and, and I think one of the overarching things I've been trying to live, but also express to others is there's a lot that's really hard about this, but it's also an opportunity. And so it may be an opportunity to spend time with family that you will never have again. Um, it may be an opportunity to stop a habit or start a good habit. And so we've got opportunities around us too, but it has to happen within you know, a well-lived life. And so again, are we in general getting good sleep, or at least as one writer says, are we giving ourselves a sleep opportunity? Uh, my sleep's been affected. It hasn't been great um, over these past few months, but at least I'm trying to be in bed and so I have that opportunity. Um, movement, exercise is great. Um, I've heard a lot of people comment just how much more aware they were this spring of the birds or the sunsets, you know, or just the phase of spring coming. Those are great things because we also live in a world, we live in an environment. And so to be more grounded in those things helps us to take on those rhythms as well. And so uh, some of the basics, schedule, try as best you can to be on a schedule and, and your family as well. And that's hard, even if you've gotten off schedule, it's important to be on a schedule. Uh, people react better to those kinds of things um, and try and maintain the same schedule. Um, make time for laughter and fun uh, in whatever way you can. And again, it's different because we're all at different times of life, you know? And so, uh, you know, if you've got kids home, there's different kinds of fun than you're going to be having if it's an empty nest or you're single and uh, living on your own. And so, but to, to make time for fun, uh, to make time for gratitude, really important. You know, um, gratitude lists are great. You know, what are th five things, three things I'm grateful for today? Um, and so I think that's really important just to be doing some of those basic things. Um, you know, am I getting meals in? How am I getting meals in? Do I need to cut out the snacks a little bit? Can I enjoy the snack at the right time? And so it's all these kinds of opportunities that we have. but having some some schedule really helps us a lot in those things and i think to the other thing like you said with the triathlon the kind of the metaphor i've been using is uh is hiking and you're on a trail that you've never hiked before and you just went up 500 feet and you're exhausted and you think you're at the peak and then you turn a bend and you've got another 200 feet that you've got to climb to get to the top and then a valley because you've never been on this trail before, you don't know what's around the bend. And people uh, use a lot of energy uh, when they don't know what's around the bend or they don't know what to expect. That wears us down, and that's part of the reason why this has been so wearing for a lot of us emotionally, is we don't know what to expect next. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're going to the green phase, but we don't really know what that's gonna be like. It's not just going to be like everything goes back to normal. We know that. And so kind of like the triathlon, it's not over. Even though you just ran a really good 26 miles, okay, now what? And where is this going to take us? Mm -hmm. And so being able to slow down and use your schedule is the one thing that is dependable in your life can create some security. No, that's so good. That's so good because I would say across the board, even – after this is quote unquote done, <laughs> I, I think like you said, the normal part, um, there's going to be somewhat of a new normal. Um, we don't know what that's exactly going to be like, but I, I would say that even all, man, all those tangibles that Chris gave, I would want to encourage us all to be looking at those things because part of what he said, if you could really um, capture it, if you will schedule even those things in like exercise, gratitude, laughter, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the sleep part, you know, when you start living from that place and that perspective, it helps us to know what's, you know, what's to come because there's a lot of things that are uncertain. And so it, it helps mentally, emotionally, uh, help, helps us to, uh, 
have more clarity and calm and health across the board. And those are just parts of the schedule. But I think even in that, he's talking about the routines. What are the routines that we're going to have? Because even after this is done, and even if said, say everything goes back to normal, and we're not saying that, <laughs> so don't, don't, uh, don't splice this clip out, said everything's going back to normal. This is what Pastor Joe said. <laughs> uh, but even, even if it did, you would still need a schedule to be the best version of yourself. Like schedules help us. Um, they're not limiting. They actually provide proper boundaries and boundary lines, know where we could go and where we should go. Uh, and whenever boundary lines are given, they say that the most creative work happens. And it would seem opposite. Like people would say, no, give me a blank canvas and I'll paint whatever. And yes, the blank canvas thing is good. But even if you have a blank canvas, you have boundary lines and those boundary lines are to help the artist to know how far they can go. It allows them to have a frame of reference. And that's what a schedule does for us as well. A schedule allows us to have these boundary lines of saying, hey, I can go this far, but I can't go past this point. And it's not to limit us, it's actually to set us free. And I'll give an example real, real time in my own life. Right now, I have a limitation because I have a four-year-old son who gets up very early um, and you know, he's doing better with sleep, but he's all, I think going to be an early riser. He's got the Velarde genes in him, tons of energy in the morning, ready to go. But I have to recognize with his schedule, my wife going back to work at an office, um, my own schedule, there's some new limitations. We're in the middle of renovations at our house right now that will not be over to the end of July, they started in January. Um, so in case you're like wondering, what are those noises? Like, what's the hammer? Uh, it literally is not a <laughs> me hammering anything. It's literally guys upstairs right now hammering upstairs. Mm -hmm. And so I need to pay attention to those things to say, hey, these are some of the canvases and the boundary lines that I have. Again, there's a lot I can do within that, but I need to wisely work through how is my schedule going to be oriented in that reality so that I can prioritize and maximize the things that matter most. And I think this time actually is a chance for us to evaluate. I know for me, while people would say, well, this is just a curse. And, and, I, and I understand from the, the sickness and the death part, we would, we would not disagree with that. But I would say the gift is it forces you to slow down and say, wait a minute, what really matters to me? Like what's really a value and a priority in this time? And so I think, for all of us, I would encourage us to think through our schedule. How are you scheduling in these parts of you that often can get neglected, especially in a time like this? Um, but you need to attend to, you need to prioritize. And then how is that going to affect even the way you do your work rhythms? Because a lot of what can happen is we want to either A, retreat altogether <laughs> can be like, you know what, I'm just going to binge watch Tiger King on Netflix and kind of do my thing. Or the opposite is, man, I want to hit the accelerator and man, this is the time to get as much done as possible. But the, the reality is it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Like we, we got to pay attention to the fact that we are in, like, I love your illustration about this hike, you know, and that there's, this is new for us. You know, we've never been on this trail before. This path is, um, uncertain to us and that is the thing that is certain <laughs> everything is pretty much uncertain right now and anybody who tells you otherwise just listen to the press conferences just listen to surveys like we did a survey at our church and and it wasn't ugly what people said it was great it was helpful but you got so many different opinions and and i think that's the point there's uncertainty it's uncertainty and everybody's going to approach this thing and look at it differently and so as we look at that, Chris, I wanted to ask you, um, what are you hearing from leaders specifically? Like, what are you hearing from them? And, and how would you encourage us as leaders to care for ourselves so that we can then care well for others? Mm -hmm. Well, the one thing I'm hearing is everybody's pretty sick of Zoom because it's yeah. exhausting. And I would uh, include myself with that. And, and one of the reasons it's so tiring is because um, we're dealing with people in two dimensions. And so we're not in the room together. We really lose something like that. And again, our brains go into overdrive 
in a situation like Zoom because we try to fill in the gaps of what we're not sensing and experiencing when we're in the room with somebody. Mm. And so mm. that's one of the reasons physiologically why it's so tiring. Um, and so I'm hearing a lot about fatigue from uh, leaders. Um, I'm, I'm also hearing a lot about opportunity. Um, mm. You know, that uh, there, there's more opportunity to, to lead, to care. And, you know, you and I have a very similar philosophy of leadership, and that is that leadership is service. We're yeah. servant leaders, and servant comes first. And so in that idea of serving and caring, there are opportunities. Like even to schedule, just to jump back to that for a second, I would also add in do something for someone else every day whether it's within your family, but look for opportunities to give or to serve. Um, that's a great thing when you're feeling anxiety or depression is to be other-centered for a while. It can be taken too far, but within reason, it can be really a helpful thing. So I'm hearing a lot about that. Leaders are getting uh, really tired because, again, like you said, well, man, we just ran a marathon. Yeah, that's right. Okay, now get in the water and swim. Um, and, you know, and we're not going to tell you where to go swimming. And you're going to have a whole bunch of voices around you. Some are going to be saying, yeah, no, go ahead, open up the sanctuary. Others are going to be saying, no way, I'm never coming back to the sanctuary. And so you've got all these ways of doing it, whether it's a church or a business or you're a healthcare person. Um, so that's the larger scale leaders. Leading at home, I think the biggest thing, and I, I've learned this from our, our next door neighbors who have... Um, Two awesome sons who are eight and four, and they're our buddies. They're over at our house a lot, socially distanced, of course. But um, for, you know, as I talk with uh, their parents, you got to change your expectations as far as what you're going to get done in a day. Um, so for those of you that have kids, and like you said, raised four, um, you know, they're just not good at following the schedule, are they? And they just don't care a whole lot about time. And so we really have to regulate ourselves and humble ourselves to say we are not going to be as efficient or as productive in the ways that we think are important. But that doesn't mean we're not doing something in the long run that might not be incredibly productive, whether it's providing care and security for your son or for kids understanding, you know what? Yeah. My wish would be that all kids look at back at this and say, man, the pandemic was awesome. <laughs> you know, what fun that was. And I know that's not true. And it saddens me that that's not true for everybody, that there are a lot of families in the valley, in the country, in the world that have experienced significant, significant loss. And so it's in no way to lighten just why this has been so hard for some people. But that um, sometimes kids can look back at things that parents find very difficult and remember it as a good time because they were together because they did receive comfort or attention. And so it's also those kinds of opportunities. Um, and so when you're leading, it's that sense, yeah, you may not get everything on your to-do list done, but did you get what was important done? And what can wait? And I think for a lot of us, it's been an opportunity to gear down and not do as much as we might normally do. Hopefully we can give ourselves some grace in that too. Yeah, it's so good. And yeah, I think with that, I mean, I think one of the challenges is the the inner voice, right? To do more. You're not doing enough. Yeah. And then the voices of, like you said, the voice of you haven't, you, you know, you went too slow. <laughs> uh, you should have opened up three weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you're, you're, you know, you went too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing with the racial unrest right now that we're fi- facing in our country people say hey yep. you sit man you went too far with that what you said and then others will say you didn't go far enough yeah. and i think as a leader on top of the the zoom piece and i love what you said about the multi uh, dimensional side of it like we're using different parts of our brain and that's why it's exhausting because we, we can't read uh people the way normally would <laughs> you know including ourselves in that right we yeah, see ourselves yeah. on the screen and you're like oh wait a minute like, do, do I look all right? You know, like all these things, you know, and, and, and so I think what's really important in the midst of all that is to um, really get clarity and that clarity. And this is where I, I really think Chris is so good is to make sure that in the midst of that, the leaders are, are caring for 
that we're taking care of ourselves. And I know you mentioned several things already, um, whether it was about the stuff you do with, you know, the mutual beneficial relationships, peer uh, coaching, you know, uh, and friendship. Um, you know, we talked about lifting schedules. Um, is there anything else you would say to leaders as they seek to, to care for themselves? Well, again, I think, um, I think expectations are really important. Yeah. Um, this, I, I hope it doesn't sound simplistic. It is simple, but it's profound. And that is to, uh, to really seek, um, beauty and wonder and awe in your days. Um, you know, it really takes some time to, and for me that happens outside, um, you know, or in exercise, whether it's running or lifting, I, you know, it's not for everybody, you know, and, uh, but it, that doesn't mean you can't go for a walk. You don't have to hit the gym every other day for two hours or run three miles, uh, you know, uh, five times a week, just being, just moving and paying attention to your environment, but seeking something beyond yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and so I, I think probably a lot of folks listening to this are Christians. And so we're looking for God in our lives. Um, but for those that, that aren't, you can still look for beauty and wonder and awe um, in your world. Because I think it, it, it puts us in a different context. It puts us, it, it puts us in a place. Um, and so it's a bigger world around us. And even going back to what's going on in our world and our culture right now, what, what I thought of, Joe, when you said that is um, give people the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. that they're well-meaning, that they care, whether you agree with them or not, um, and, and listen. And so, um, and, and, and to show respect. Yeah. And, and that sometimes is in short um, reserve in some of these cultural things that we're going through. But, you know, maybe to say or that there's a story behind their opinion also. And so whether it's, some of the things that are going on as far as um, race and protest or even about when to open a church sanctuary or a, or a restaurant, that these are well-meaning people. Um, they don't have to be the enemy. Yeah, um, that's right. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm more comfortable going to a restaurant than you are. That doesn't make you wrong. That's right. Yeah. That's really good. I know, yeah, and I, yeah, I would say, I think listening is in short uh, supply right now. <laughs> There's a whole lot of lecturing going on. Yeah. Um, and I think when we see everybody who doesn't agree with me or see it the way I do as an enemy, uh, we miss the opportunity for growth and development. Um, and I, I think for us even to have proper expectations of ourselves and others, because everybody is on edge too. I think it's important to note um, we are all on edge and, um, you know, like even this, this morning, my day totally took a, a different trajectory and it worked out, but you know, I had a plan and I was trying to work the plan and clearly it was not going to work. And, you know, I just had to like calm down and <laughs> realize, Hey, I got to adjust my expectations. I got to be honest with people. Like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I can't make it into this thing that I said I was going to be able to potentially make. And, the guy was totally understanding, but hey, if we can't be honest about where we are and even, I would say, proper expectations um, given our set of circumstances, because really it's not about a different set of circumstances that we've previously been in. It's about our current set of circumstances and asking, am I doing my best given the circumstances I'm in? Mm -hmm. It's not you know, if, if they were different, if they were different, we would do things differently, but they're not different. <laughs> they're, you know, I'm in the middle of all kinds of different things. And so is everybody else. Everybody else is carrying these different things. And I think one of the things that I wanted to really uh, talk to you about, Chris, as well with this, because I think it may seem a little disjointed, but I think it really fits into the whole of what we've been talking about, which is really understanding our family of origin story. Because a lot of times the way we respond to the circumstances we find ourselves in mm -hmm. um, is really linked. And it's not, this is only really clear. This is not like a blaming a family. This Chris and I both would not espouse to that, but it's an understanding and a locking of, Hey, what makes me who I am? You know, what's, you know, uh, if you're a Christian, maybe you're like, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, all about Jesus, you know, and 
I heard a great quote. Someone said, well, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> in other words, we all have a family tree that we come from. And so I wanted to ask you, Chris, just, you know, and again, I know I'm asking you a very big topic question here. So just to give uh, Chris permission to do his best at a podcast format on this question. But I, I just was curious, how does our family of origin story affect us? Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, that's a pretty big topic. Um, you know, we're all, we're all born into a story that, that started before us and um, is going to end beyond us, most likely. And so being born into a story, being born into a context, and uh, some folks don't know what that story is or what that context is, um, and yet it still affects them. And so we were talking earlier, um, it affects us genetically. You know, I learned pretty early on I was not going to be playing center in the NBA. And you know, the, the genetics of my height were pretty clear on that. And so, um, so there's the idea that we're affected genetically and physically. Um, we're also uh, affected experientially. We're affected temperamentally. Um, mellow people tend to have mellower kids feistier people have feistier kids there can be outliers and they're and they're you know it's it, there usually are in some way but there's a lot you know that's why we look at some and say oh you're just like your father you're just like your mother it can be good bad or in between um and and so there's that and then there's what we experience and so we've got all these things and that's why some people can look at this and feel like they're going to be fine why? Because they probably grew up with um, security. Um, they may have experienced hard times, but it may not have been a loss of income or a loss of job. Their mom and their dad or worked throughout their lives and, you know, m money wasn't an issue. It doesn't mean there weren't other things they struggled with. Somebody else could have been um, traumatized by the loss of a job, not only because of that, but because for them, it goes right back to something that maybe they experienced growing up, you know, and um, whether a parent passing away and the income being lost for the family or a marriage breaking up or a job being lost and a parent not being able to find a job that made the same income. So we're, we're affected by our stories. But the thing is, you can grow up in the same family and still have very different experiences of what that story was. And so it's not one size fits all. They're usually pretty similar, but they can be very different. And so one of the things that I like to tell people to do is to be curious. Be curious about your story. Ask other relatives, you know, about, well, what was going on in the family when I was a kid? Um, one thing that we do as, a, as family therapists, uh, it's an exercise called a genogram. And a genogram is really, um, it, it looks like a family tree. So we've got you and your siblings and we've got your parents and we've got your grandparents and your aunts and uncles and maybe your great grandparents. And yeah, we want to know when everybody was born and died and whose marriage survived and who's broke up or, you know, what, what experiences went on, but it's also an emotional family tree. Mm. And so tell me about grandpa. Oh, he was the warmest guy. Oh, my word. You know, he just spoiled us all the time. And he always had the right candy there. Tell me about your grandpa. Oh, he was terrible. You know, he was, he was a mean guy. You just learned to stay away from grandpa. And so the reason we do genograms is to help people understand, again, more of that context that they grew up in. Because we react to those things. And we have expectations with those things. And so... You know, using uh, morning people. Um, I'm married to a morning person. So I am not. I'm a, I'm a night owl. I fought hard to not be, but that's what I am. So when we first got together, and I remember first staying at her uh, parents' house the first time, and I come strolling out at 9 o'clock, which was early in my family, and everybody was just like silent, and I didn't know what I'd done. Because they'd all been up at 6 o'clock, like working away and whistling and smiling, and I don't do any whistling or smiling till about 10.30 now. But, you know, but it's things like that. Their expectation was everybody's up on a Saturday. Mine was, well, man, I'm up early because usually it's 10. 
Um, and that's a minor example, but think about that. It, what that's like when it, the stakes are higher, when we're hurting, or when we expect that somebody's going to do something for us and they don't, or we expect that it's always going to work out poorly and our partner doesn't have that expectation. So they don't know why that makes us so anxious. And so I like people to be curious, but a lot of times we have to get some kind of peace with our emotions. And if there's shame there, that it's okay to tell your story. It doesn't mean that you're messed up. It doesn't mean that you're a screw up. It doesn't mean that you're less than. It's just your story. And we all have them. That's so good. I was going to ask you, like, um, when you think of, like, the genogram, idea is there uh places you would recommend them go look for a genogram if they wanted to even start diving into that work or anything like that you know i I haven't checked online as far as um um you know like self-study or things like that but but i'm sure they're there and i know you'll get examples of like some prominent families uh genograms like uh, you know like the kennedys uh the butches or other folks and it's very interesting what can be derived out of that um So yeah, I would just uh, Google it um, and see what comes up. And you can do a little bit of self-study that way. Talking about patterns is so important because that's where unspoken expectations come from. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think it's important. And, and a lot of times what happens is uh, we don't know why we do what we do at times. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's not, again, and, it, and I like to clarify here, why we do what we do if it's, the wrong thing is not to excuse it. It just helps to unpack and explain it for us because there, there are things even within our mental and emotional state that come from our family tree, just like heart conditions, height, you know, as Chris was talking about, you know, that we often aren't aware of, you know? So like, if you don't know that in your family, mental illness um, was a, a, a trait that goes throughout the family tree, you may be like, man, what in the world is wrong with me? Like, is it, you know, like I just, you know, I, I can't get this right in my life. And right. no, there's nothing, there's not something per se wrong with you as a person. Like you're not, you're not flawed in the sense of um, how you were made. You're an image bearer of God. Right. Now we all have these broken places and spaces in us that we need to be able to evaluate and to understand, Hey, we don't have to walk alone in those things, but shame is such a powerful tool. And then I would say the other tool that's really powerful is blame. Because if you're not careful when you start going down this family tree in an effort to understand what's going on and what's happened to you, um, it's easy to start blaming those who went before you. And I just was curious if you've seen that, Chris, where blaming starts to, you know, take shape and take root. And it, Again, it's, it's not bad to be honest about or wrong to be honest about, hey, this person did this to me, but then it becomes almost like, hey, whatever choices I've made, <laughs> um, specifically when bad decisions have been made, we start pointing fingers yeah. um, at, at a person. And I, I want to clarify now, we know abuse has a way of doing that. So I, I want to I be really clear here. I'm not specifically talking about a, abuse, but I, I do think we have to be able to if we're going to move forward, we got to address those, that two headed monster of shame and blame yeah. um, because they actually, they, they give us a, a, a place to put our emotional anger and um, you know, the, the unsettledness of our souls, but they don't long-term actually produce the joy, peace, hope, and love that we are looking for um, right. in the midst of that. So do, have you seen that with blame and, and what, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, sure. I, I mean, I've seen it and I feel like I've lived it. So, you know, I don't think there's a lot of us that are immune to that. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you said, it's, it's a good to make that, uh, to distinguish that we're not talking about abuse um, and trauma in that way right now. We're talking about something that may be more universal in those ways. And, and so I, I think what I go back to, it's funny, this, this quote has been attributed to at least five different people so i don't know whoever thought it up but it's really good we'll just say, we'll just say it's your quote now since yeah, yeah maybe I'll, just, I'll, just <laughs> it. I'll own it for today so uh um but but what what the way the person that i read it from was c.s lewis um and and uh and and what he said is that um bitterness and blame are like drinking uh, poison and expecting the other person to die mm. you know instead it poisons us it, it robs us and so like you said 
even if there are profound hurts that you've experienced or betrayals or abandonment um, in, in your family of origin, um, it's, it's not to ignore those things. It's to seek truth in those things yeah. or experience. But it's also, I think, to be able to let go and really mm -hmm. not be uh, influenced uh, in a negative way by it. Um, you know, we can learn good things from good or bad experiences. We can grow in resilience, which is a really important word right now, resilience, through good or bad experiences. Um, but what we have to be careful of, I think, like you said, um, is that we're not falling into blame because blame paralyzes us. Uh, it gets us stuck and it doesn't create freedom. So when I'm in therapy, if I hear somebody say, and then I vowed I was never going to be like my father, you know, over time with a lot of patience and hopefully grace, I want to help them to have um, a, a better understanding of their dad. Not that he may turn into father of the year. It may be far from it, but that at least that your father was a human being and he had a story too. And yes, he hurt you profoundly or you were abandoned by him and you suffered because of his choices. But that wasn't the beginning of the story or the end of the story. So let's talk about your experience so that you can heal through that and not shape your life around what you don't want to be. Let's shape your life around who you are and who God's created you to be. And so it's really to be free of those things. Because again, if we have a great example, yeah, use it, but still be you. Um, you know, and if it was a poor example or an, for a lot of us somewhere in between, that's fine. Learn from those things, but still be you. Who did God create you to be? And that's where I think the freedom is in some of those ways that we try to look at our pasts and our families and things like yeah. that. It's so good because I think it's important to know where the story began because it gives us empathy and compassion for our family story. Yeah. Um, without excusing. So we're not excusing. It just gives right. us an explanation and then where we've come from and then where are we going um, and how do we build about, up, upon that? Because really, you know, I'm able to do what I'm doing with my son, Ray. Yes, there was a lot of things that were hard and painful or whatever, but, you know, with my, within my own family story, but it's really building on the legacy uh, that my mom and dad even in their imperfections. And I'm going to, I have imperfections too. And Ray's going to build upon that, right? It doesn't end with me, yep. but they're good gifts in the midst of that. And then there's uh, pain and difficulty. And so I think it's being able to work through our family journey and family story so that we can receive the gift that it is. There's a gift there it, and it's painful, right? Like Chris and I both have done some deep, deep work in our own lives and family story and, and to honor our families are not going to really go into that <laughs> specifically, but as we, we've done that, it, it helps us to then say, hey, I'm not, you know, because there would be the perception there's something wrong with me and, and I did something to make somebody reject me. Mm -hmm. And we start living from that place and start trying to uh, appease or appear to be something maybe we're not or uh, to be like, man, always you know, when people leave us or, you know, there's relate relational rifts, which are part of human nature, not to see them as they are, but to, to think there's inherently something wrong with me. I'm flawed. Like you're running away from me, just like you fill in the blank. This person did. And if you can't distinguish those things, what it does to you is it constantly leaves you in a cycle of anxiety and um, not confidently assured of who you are. And so I think it's really important. And so, Chris, I know you talked about the genogram. Is there any other like tools or resources you would encourage us to to and ask questions to stay curious? Which I I do want to say that to you guys. Um, I think one of the best things you can do is to ask your family about you know where they came from, uh, your your grandparents if you, they're still living. Ask questions. I've been recently doing that with my dad and my mom, and. Man, it's just fascinating all the stuff you learn, and it gives you a great amount of amounts of joy and compassion. And then there's grief too, because you're like, "Wow, that was really painful, and that's hard, and it's sad." And 
and, and you get to uh, come alongside um, as well as understand a bit of like, wow, like we've, we've come from a lot, you know, we've come through, through a lot of different things and God and his grace has, has brought us through. So I think it's important, the genogram thing and also asking those questions. But I didn't know, did you have anything else that would allow us to see it? You know, those, the family story that we have and even the pain within it as, you know, a gift we can receive and then a gift that we can give to others. Yeah. Well, I, a couple things. I, I, I like to remind people also that we, we don't tell our story once. And so we, we tell our story as a 10-year-old. We tell our story at 20 and 30. And then we have kids. And that changes how we understand our story. And so we continue to tell our story and understand our past, good, bad, or in between. And so don't stop, don't stop telling your story. Um, there's a, a writer by the name of Frederick Beekner. Um, um, Christian novelist, um, and last name is B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R, and um, his father committed suicide when he was nine years old, and that story has continued to weave in and out of his work um, over, he's in his 80s now, and uh, last wrote probably about 10 years ago, but um, it's profound, because I think in him listening to his life, he helps us to listen to our lives and tell our stories, even though um, many of us have not gone through the trauma that he did. It helps us to understand our life and, and in, a, in a bigger picture. Um, and so don't stop telling your story. Some people stop telling their story yeah. usually right after a painful time. Mm-hmm. And that's sad because then they aren't able to see healing or maybe even redemption or reconciliation. We don't all get reconciliation, but, um, you know, many of us do. And so don't stop telling your story. I think for right now, this is for right now, here and now for you're in your house, your kids are going nuts. You're trying to get work done. Um, your spouse is trying to get stuff done. Um, and that is if you have a, a negative reaction or you lose your temper or, um, you know, you, like you said, everybody's fuse is short right now. And I think that's true, Joe. Of all the ways I could have reacted or responded, why did I experience that way? Why did I experience that way? She was just trying to make a joke. Mm. You know, why did I take that the wrong way? Mm. And a lot of times that takes us back to different aspects of our story or our experience of our story Mm. Mm. as well. And so it takes us out of the moment and it gives us an opportunity again to say of all the ways that I could have reacted, why did I react that way? Also, that can be used for good stuff. Yeah. You know, why could I keep it together during crisis, but I have a really hard time staying at my to-do list for more than a half an hour? <laughs> yeah. you know, um, we're all different in those ways, but why? You know, and so it takes us out of ourselves a little bit more. And then hopefully creates conversation because that's where the that's where the um, bridge building that's where the reconciliation comes in uh shame can come in you know if we react i i didn't mean that that way i thought i was encouraging you why did i do that way it's good and i I think it goes back to what chris said all along about being curious yeah You, you need to be a student of yourself as well and we're not talking about narcissism because narcissism makes me the center of everything. This actually says, no, I want to be the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And in order to understand how I'm responding and reacting, both the negative and the positive, mm-hmm. I've got to be able to evaluate, you know, why that is. And I, I think too, those who are closest to you, you can even ask them like, Hey, what's it like to be on the other side of me in a moment like this, especially if you're married, I would encourage you to do that. If you are a single person and you said, Hey, I'm I'm hanging out with mom and dad during this time. uh, This is a great chance for you to even ask a question like that to them. Um, Not, not because they're going to have the full on answer, but they will, they will allow you to even, you know, see um, what they will allow you and help you to see what you can't probably see in yourself at times, you know, in a not non judgy, shameful way, but in a way that could, be helpful and encouraged. Like I know right now, 
my wife and, and my mother-in-law get a, a real good view on me. And there's a lot of jovial sides of me, but man, there's an intensity to me as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we need to pay attention to that stuff. You know, there's times where I'm more amped up and there's times I'm not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife is quick to say, hey, I, I noticed uh, that you're amped up this week. Uh, like, let's talk through what, what is it that may be causing that. And we need people like that. I don't need to be defensive. Yep. I don't, no, no, I'm not amped up. Well, I may not see it, but I, that's because it's normal to me at times. And so I think being able to let others speak into that. And Chris, just one last question. And I just wanted to ask you, you, you said this word resilience. Can you define that for us? Because I think it's an important word that I hear a lot. And I think I know what it means, <laughs> but can you, in your uh, 25 plus years of experience, uh, unpack that for us? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little more of the layman's uh, definition, but again, over to, uh, to Google if you're interested in finding out more. Um, but um, re- resilience is, it's stick-to-itiveness, it's adaptation, it's, it involves uh, hope. It involves persistence. Um, it involves uh, failure and learning from failure, not being protected from failure. Um, it involves adaptation in the sense of when things don't go our way. It involves dealing with disappointment. And so there's a lot of things about character and maturity and, and resilience. There's obviously a lot of things that um, again, we would understand as Christians as far as character, but even in the even in the Greek philosophers, they were looking at a lot of this stuff as far as you know what is what does that mean as far as character, and so it's really this sense of being able to persist and and live through and go through the hard parts of life and not give up, not give in, um, to to continue on that stick to itiveness. And so that's what resilience is. So again, you know, for um, it's it's helping kids to deal with failure. That failure doesn't have to be shameful. Well, what if I mess up? Well, what if you do? What will you do after you fail? You know, and who will you be after you fail? Because again, if if we don't learn those things, then we're afraid. We're over. We're always in fear of failure. But how much does it stop us from doing good things? or stop us from an opportunity. You know, again, the leaders, fear of failure can st- st- cut people off from wonderful opportunities. Oh, so good, that's so good. Yeah, because I think even through this, this is the goal. The goal is to really have a resilient life mm-hmm. and to these opportunities that we're talking about, whether it's the stuff with COVID and racial unrest and um, you know, our family journey, family story, you know, all this is really building up to this resilient life and how, you know, how do we, we keep using the word pivot or be flexible, but really I think a better word is how are we resilient? How are we resilient to both successes and failures? How do we, how do we respond um, appropriately to those things? Chris, this was so good, man. I want to make sure people know how to connect with you. So can you let us know how's the best way to, you know, connect with you and how can they find more about you and your practice as well? Okay. Well, as you know, it's a little joke between Joe and I. My, my website is under construction. Sadly, it's been under construction for about five years, but I'm getting <laughs> close. So, uh, so uh, the best way to uh, reach out to me uh, would be still to Google my name, Christopher Zhang. And on the right-hand side, at least the, the phone number for my office will come up. Um, uh, also, if you wanted to reach out via email, you could reach out to me at Zang Office, one word, Z-A-N-G-O-F-F-I-C-E at gmail.com. And just in the subject line, uh, put something about podcast or that you heard me uh, with Joe, and then I'll be sure to get back to you uh, if you want more information regarding our practice or anything that I brought up today. I'd be happy to correspond with you about that as well. Yeah, well, Chris, thanks again, man. You're such a gift. You're a blessing. And uh, yeah, man, it's pretty incredible the fact that the website's been under construction for five years and your practice is still slamming. Like, and going. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say, about. I'm, I'm blessed and I'm fortunate and I am planning on joining the 21st century pretty soon. But uh, old school's uh, the new school, right? Is that what they say? 
But thanks so much for having me, Joe. It's been an honor. And, and just for people to hear that um, I'm, I'm grateful for what Joe has experienced um, in our relationship, but I've learned and grown uh, just in, as much in my association with him and the uh, life that he's breathed into my life. So I'm truly appreciative of that too. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Vision for the Valley podcast at gmail.com. 